0: I ask you to join me in turning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 22. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there should be some in the pew right in front of you. But our text is 1 Kings chapter 22. And we go to the Word of God this morning because it is the Word of God alone. It is the Bible alone that is breathed out by God. That is profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must be in the Word of God. We must be meditating on the Word of God. I spoke for a few minutes to our youth on Wednesday night about Psalm 1. The blessed man is one who meditates on the law day and night. And if we're not doing that, we are just abandoning our source for power and life. You know, this past Wednesday also we opened it up for questions during our our time together Wednesday night. And the first question that came up, may be intimidating for somebody to answer, but I was so happy it came up. It was, are people born gay? Now that's a question that is on a lot of people's minds these days as the culture around us is moving in a, in a direction that is away from what God's Word says. And so how do we answer those questions without... you know, you know the, the, the easy thing to do is to give the politically correct answer The second easy thing to do is to give the politically correct church answer. Or we can go to the Word of God and let Him speak to the question. Now that's not my subject tonight, or this morning. But we can go to the Word, we should go to the Word, and we must go to the Word. And that's why 1 Kings 22 is my text this morning. It's a lengthy passage, but it's one we need to hear. And this is what it says. Three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the, king, out of the hand of the king of Aram? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king." But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat king of Judah were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. Then Zedekiah the son of Chinanah made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he, Micaiah, said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chennai, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room and hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat king of Judah went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded." The battle raged that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and died at evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army at close to sunset, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of the Lord which He spoke. I'll stop there. You know, many in our country, maybe you know, many here, you know, were excited about what happens nine nights, nine nine nights from now, Halloween. Millions of children from coast to coast along with an embarrassing number of adults, dress up and go out searching for edible treats, October 31st. As believers in Jesus, though, we have a much better reason to celebrate October 31st. And that's because 500 years ago, October 31st, 1517, a German law student turned monk, turned theology professor, nailed a piece of paper to a church door. And in so doing, God lit a fire throughout Europe. A soul on fire, you might say. And you might say that God used that to have direct impact on why you are sitting where you are today. Martin Luther was raised a strict Roman Catholic and as a monk was very strict on himself because he wanted to please God. But no matter what he did, or what he didn't do, or what he deprived himself of, he never found peace with God. The first time he administered the Catholic Mass in 1507, he shook so badly and he nearly fainted because he knew he was unworthy to even be dealing with God. And of course, he was unworthy. He was unworthy. It's good to know that you are unworthy of God but you need to know how to respond to that and he, his fear just seemed to alienate him further from God. A trip to Rome in 1510 didn't help. There he went to try to find answers but instead what he saw was the vast corruption of the Roman Catholic Church up close and like so many today he was more alienated from God than ever because of what he saw in the religion of his day. Finally, he was appointed a theology professor, and that was a game-changer. Maybe in the, all of history, there's never been a more important, a more far-reaching professorial appointment in history because then, for the first time in his life, and you think, well, he was a monk and he was, all this stuff, he actually, for the first time, actually began to read the Bible and study the Bible so that he could preach and and, and teach students about psalms and romans and galatians and hebrews those are the books that he began to to look at and study and the more he did the more the holy spirit impressed upon him the truth which confused his catholicized mind he kept asking how can a sinful man be made right before a holy god and that's a question each of us needs to be asking too how can a sinful man be declared righteous before a holy 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 god you know luther saw everything going on around him and compared it to the the bible that he was reading and he saw the need for reform he wanted reform he 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 determined that the abuses of the roman catholic system must come to an end and so he wanted to debate the problems and so on october 31st 1517 he goes and and nails that theses, the 95 theses, to the door of the castle church. And included in it were such radical biblical ideas like when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Number two, this word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance, that is confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. 32. Those who believe that they can be certain of their salvation because they have indulgence letters, which you bought to spring people out of purgatory, they will be eternally condemned together with their teachers. 36. Any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt even without indulgence letters. and. I won't read them all, but 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. You know, Luther has often been called a revolutionary. But he wasn't seeking revolution, he was seeking reformation. He was seeking reform. He began to write. In his book, An Appeal to the German Nobility he called for the ruling powers of Germany to reform the church since the pope and councils had not. The Babylonian captivity of the church was a book in which he attacked the seven sacraments of the Catholic system and compared what the Roman Catholic church had done to Christians, carrying them away from the scriptures, to what Babylon had done to the Jews, carrying them away from their promised land. And... The freedom of a Christian, Luther attacked the Catholic doctrine of salvation. Now, and I say attacked, really he was just telling what the Bible said. That he, he was like Isaiah. A man of unclean lips, unworthy of the love and favor of a God who is holy, holy, holy. Yet through time and study and meditation upon God's Word, the Holy Spirit finally broke through to Martin Luther that the righteousness of God is that which is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby sinners are declared righteous. We are justified not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ alone. In 1521... You know, today we may not think that's a controversial statement, but in 1521 he was summoned to a a, a council meeting called the Diet of Worms by Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, so that he might in front of God and everybody recant the things he'd said and he'd written. The books were placed in front of him. But he said, "...unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason..." For I do not trust either in the pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. And for that, he was pronounced a heretic. He was one man speaking words no one else wanted to hear. And yet the more the Roman Catholic Church pressed against the truth, the more people became known as Protestants. The truth always wins in the end. whether it's in this world or in the, the world the age to come. And that brings us back to 1 Kings 22 and one of the least known prophets in the Bible, Micaiah. A man who spoke words nobody else wanted to hear, a man whose passion for God meant that he too had a passion for the truth. You know, three years before 1 Kings 22 happened, Ahab, the, the wicked king of Israel, had the king of Aram named Ben-Hadad right where he'd wanted them. They were warring against each other, and he had the king of Aram right where he wanted him. But he allowed that king to live with the condition that they would turn over some territory, including this town called Ramoth-Gilead. But that never happened. They never did turn over the territory. So three years passed, and that's what brings up this whole idea of going to war. Ahab determined he's going to take it back by force. And then you have this man named King Jehoshaphat of Judah. For the most of the book of 1 Kings, we find the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah at odds with one another. Sometimes they're even warring against each other. But not here. They weren't here. But still, it was well known that Ahab was a wicked king. It was well known that Ahab did not honor the one true God. He was an idol worshiper. He was not what scripture calls a good king. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Whereas what we read about Jehoshaphat is that he followed in the footsteps of his father Asa and was a good king. And for the most part, he did the right thing in the sight of the Lord. And I say for the most part. It's a strange thing then for a king who is walking with the Lord to make an alliance with someone like Ahab. Now one of the reasons for that might be that they were aligned not just as Jews, but by marriage as well. Sometimes family can complicate things. Maybe Jehoshaphat thought by helping Ahab, he would help secure his own borders. Because you have to remember, this was a time in the history of Israel and Judah when they were constantly under threat from all sides. You've got the Ammonites, you've got the Moabites, You've got the Assyrian Empire lurking to the northeast, and they're going to be a big problem not too long after this happens. And maybe Jehoshaphat's thinking, if I join forces with Ahab and we defeat the Arameans, at least that's one side of our borders we don't have to worry about. So Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But you can see in the text here that Jehoshaphat was not sure about the plan. So in verse 5 he says to Ahab, please first let's inquire for a word from the Lord. And if you notice in your Bible, hopefully your Bible has this, the word Lord is spelled with a capital D, a capital L and then small capital O-R-D. It is in my translation. I hope it is in yours too. What that does, it, it signifies that that's a trans, it, not really a translation, but it's signifying it's the name of Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. The name by which God revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am. Yahweh, I am that I am. A- and... That's an important thing to note here because Ahab responds by gathering 400 prophets. You want one? I got 400. And he asks them basically, do we go to war or don't we? And to a man, what we see here in this text is these 400 prophets say, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And usually that would be enough to convince anyone of the truth. 400 people saying all together, and these are prophets, and they're saying, Go, the Lord will give it into your hands. But Jehoshaphat, for some reason, was not convinced. And notice in verse 6 that the word Lord there is not in small caps. That is not the word for Yahweh from the Hebrew that this was written in. That is an important distinction here to make. Those 400 men were calling on some Lord... They were calling on some Lord, but they were not referring to Yahweh. They were not referring to the God of Israel and the God of Judah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God who brought Israel out of the Red Sea, the God who brought them to the Promised Land, the God who helped them defeat Jericho, the God who defeated Jericho for them, basically. They were not referring to the same God. And Jehoshaphat saw through it. They were not referring to Yahweh. So look again at verse 7. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of Yahweh, the Lord, small caps, here that we may inquire of him? You have this good king of Judah, the king who had descended from David, through whom God made a covenant about the kingdom. Jehoshaphat was a descendant of David and he's saying here is there not a prophet of Yahweh now the fact of the matter is Jehoshaphat shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place he he shouldn't have been in this alliance in the first place but as 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us bad company corrupts good morals Ahab had already been judged by God for his disobedience actually on two occasions, two times, Ahab had been told that he was going to die. In fact, after this battle comes to an end, Jehoshaphat goes back to Jerusalem and he's going to be chastised for making this unholy alliance. But Ahab, you know, he may have been Jewish by ethnicity, but he was not a Jew inwardly. Many people profess God physically, but they're not professing God inwardly. Jehoshaphat was unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians, right? Unequally yoked. Still, just as Martin Luther heard from everyone, but still knew he had to listen to the word of the one true God and not a pope, Jehoshaphat wanted to hear from a prophet of Yahweh, the God. So Ahab says there's this one guy, there's this one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, but what? I hate him. I hate him. Now for Jehoshaphat, if there weren't red flags up already, he should have started running in the other direction. Why tie your present and your future to a person or people who don't regard the word of the one true God? Ahab hated the man of God. Why? Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. It's Micaiah, the son of Imlah. You know, this is the only story in the Bible we have about Micaiah, but what Ahab says here makes it clear that Micaiah had been a thorn in his side. He would had a ministry that spanned some time, and there had been probably multiple instances where Ahab had called upon Micaiah, and Micaiah had spoken out against his evil deeds. Because Ahab, if you know anything about Ahab from earlier in 1 Kings, this man was a wicked king, maybe the most wicked of the northern kingdom. But Ahab hated God. He, God is God, Ahab's not God, and that's reason enough for Ahab to hate him. Ahab was like so many people today that he wanted a God in his own image instead of realizing he's made in the image of God. He didn't want to hear from Yahweh. He didn't want to hear how he needed to be changed. But Yahweh has something to say about all that to Ahab, to the Roman Catholic Church, and to you and me this morning. But tragically, in our sin, we so often don't want to hear the Word of God either. In our sin, we reject God so often for our own opinions, our own traditions, our own preferences, our own way. In our sin, we become little Ahabs. So how did Jehoshaphat respond when Ahab said he hated Micaiah, the man speaking the words of God? Did Jehoshaphat stand up and strongly rebuke him? No. Did he walk out the door saying, May God judge between you and me like David did to Saul once? No. Let not the king say such things. So that's what Jehoshaphat... Be nice, Ahab. Come on, be nice. You shouldn't say that, Ahab. Jehoshaphat had already compromised by joining forces with Ahab. Now instead of confronting him saying, How dare you hate a prophet of God? He gave a wimpy little response to keep the peace. That is not how you confront error, Beloved. That will only beget more error. no error must be met with holy rebuke. you know something I say to to my son and, and to my fourth grade class and, and to almost you've probably heard me say it before. love doesn't do what makes the other person happy. Love does what is best for the other person. Jehoshaphat was not loving his fellow king here. He should have recognized the disdain for God and rebuked Him. And if not repentance, then leave the alliance completely. But he didn't do that. We must never equivocate when it comes to the truth. Ahab calls for Micaiah to be brought in. Verse 10 sets the scene for us. Both Ahab and Micaiah are dressed to the royal nines, seated on their thrones. And one of these prophets, one of these 400 Zedekiah decides to put on a little, a little show, a little one act, little one act play with the horns, and he's mindful of Jehoshaphat's desire to hear from Yahweh. So Zedekiah says thus says Yahweh with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And as if on cue all of the other so called prophets say go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for Yahweh will give it into your hands. All of a sudden everyone wanted to speak for Yahweh. Then it came time for Micaiah and what would he do? What would he say? 400 men saying one thing. What would he say? Well, they did everything they could to get him to tow the company line. Verse 13. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king." I thought prophets spoke for God, but here they're just yes men for the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. They wanted no dissenting opinion. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. They wanted their safe space, just as so many today, including in in churches all over our country this morning, they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. And that's why they'll smile. As long as the man of God doesn't say anything that offends them. As long as the man of God doesn't challenge their preconceived notions, their assumptions. As long as the man of God doesn't call them personally to repentance. They'll smile. These people wanted Micaiah to tow the company line, but Micaiah, unlike the 400, was a true prophet of Yahweh. And no true prophet of Yahweh, no faithful shepherd speaking the words of the one true God, can capitulate when it comes to the truth. So he said, as Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that I shall speak. And I wish all pastors, I wish all preachers, I wish every single person who professes Jesus Christ today would take those words to heart and never let them go man lives not by bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god it is the truth that sets us free beloved they brought micaiah to ahab and he asked shall we go to battle or shall we refrain and how did Micaiah answer in verse 15? Go up and succeed, and Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. So, it, from reading this, it sounds like Micaiah is doing what they want him to do. You know, at the Diet of Worms, Luther didn't, when they asked whether or not he would recant, he didn't respond immediately. He requested time to answer. And you you have to think that when he requested time to answer, Charles V, the emperor, and all the the Catholic officials that were there probably thought they'd won. Luther would, yet, he's thinking about it. He's going to back down. Of course, they were wrong. The, The next day, Luther gives that I will not recant statement. And likewise, Micaiah's words here are not all they appear to be. Look at verse 16. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? That's Yahweh. It must not have been what Micaiah said there in verse 15. It must have been how he said it. That raised the eyebrows of the king. Micaiah's words, the way this plays out, must have been dripping with some sarcasm. Sure, you should go up and succeed. Of course, Yahweh will give it into your hand. Then again, Ahab was so used to Micaiah prophesying against him in response to his evil that maybe the positive words made him skeptical from the outset. The bottom line is he demanded the truth from Micaiah and in verse 17, Micaiah does not hold back. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd and the Lord said, these have no master let each of them return to his house in peace. Twice, twice in the previous two chapters of 1 Kings, the death of Ahab had been predicted. I said that before. Once by an unnamed prophet, the second time by Elijah. Now Micaiah made it three times. He would be killed in battle and Israel would be scattered because they had no shepherd. Now of course, Ahab looks at Jehoshaphat who, who gives him the biblical equivalent of, you know, see, I told you so. I told you that he would prophesy evil concerning me. I told you he wouldn't say something I want him to say. I told told you he wouldn't go along to get along. He looked around to men indignant because God's man wasn't saying what he wanted him to say. Then Micaiah gave them more than they were asking for. He spoke about a scene in heaven where it was revealed what was happening then was a part of God's plan to bring about the death of Ahab, which God had already said would happen. You know, it's Martin Luther who once quipped that, God's, that the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil. Don't ever buy the, 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 the idea that it's God versus Satan and that they're somehow equivalent. No. This isn't like the, the Panthers against the Bears today, where there's two teams going against each other and we don't know who will win yet. God's always going to win. The devil is God's devil. And we see that here because God sends an evil spirit to be a deceiving spirit in all the mouths of Ahab's prophets to judge them all. Their affirmation should go... Their affirmation that Ahab should go to battle is ultimately God's will to judge Ahab for all the evil that he had done. Because even... Evil can be used by God to accomplish His purposes. Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to God be the glory. God would be glorified in the death of Ahab and it would come about through Him using an evil spirit to spread falsehood. You know, God was even glorified when they called Luther a heretic at worms. God is even glorified in situations like this today. You know, Micaiah makes it clear, disaster's coming. So what happened? Zedekiah hits him in the face. He makes his own sarcastic comment. How did the Spirit of Yahweh pass from me to speak to you? And Micaiah says, you know, you're you're going to find out when you're hiding. And, And so what happens then? Micaiah is put in prison. Feed him. Bread and water. Feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. And verse 28. If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. You know, for Micaiah, spending life in prison and being fed sparingly was not as bad as being wrong with God. You know, I I dread. Maybe dreads the wrong word. There might be a day coming. Don't, don't get too attached to the freedom that we have. There may come a day where you have a choice to make whether you're going to go along to get along or speak the words of God and suffer the earthly consequences. Micaiah suffered the consequences. We have no record of him ever getting out of prison, by the way. And likewise, for Martin Luther, he was excommunicated, threatened with imprisonment, and worse. But that's not as great a punishment as being wrong before God, as as denying what is true, beloved. Anything and everything should be worse to us than believing, you know, than, than denying the truth. Ahab goes forward with his plan. Although, did you notice he acts like Micaiah is right? He disguised himself the way, the, the way many who disregard the truth today disguise themselves. Uh, Satan himself disguises himself as what? An angel of light? Micaiah, or no, Ahab is trying to dodge the consequences of his own actions, of his own error, and it never works out in the end. God's not fooled. A bow at random. Was it really at random? God never misses. There's that little added detail in verse 38 that dogs licked up his blood. Elijah had said that would happen, by the way, in in chapter 21, verse 19. Micaiah may have been imprisoned. He may have eventually been killed. We don't know. But the truth prevailed. The truth prevailed. Yahweh... Prevailed. And sure enough, Israel was scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Micaiah Micaiah may have spent (coughs) the rest of his days in a prison cell. Again, we don't know, but he was justified in the sight of God. And that's what matters. Martin Luther did not recant. He could not stand for the Word of God to be ignored and twisted and compromised. God saw through the Diet of Worms and then some. Luther wrote his most famous work, The Bondage of the Will, in 1525. And for two more decades, he faithfully proclaimed and taught and wrote about the truth right up to his death. And if, if Luther were standing here, by the way, he and I could have a debate on several things Luther wrote. It's not as if Luther was perfect, and I'm not trying to give you some cartoon character picture of the man. He he had some wrong views. That I think that if we were able to talk about with with the Word of God before us, it would be very interesting. But I say without a shadow of a doubt, he's a hero of our faith. Used by God to do amazing things. And he's one of the reasons I'm here today. He's one of the reasons you're here today. Whether you've ever realized that or not, the Protestant Reformation happened in part because God used a German monk to humble a pope. And God used a prophet you probably, maybe you would never heard of before today, to humble a king. Luther's life echoed the very words of Micaiah as the Lord Yahweh lives what the Lord says to me that I shall speak. And that's the cry of my heart. At least I want it to be. And I want it to be the the cry of your heart. I want it to be the conviction of my soul. I want it to be the conviction of your soul. Know that it cannot be and it will not be unless you've been saved by the one who saved Micaiah and who saved Martin Luther. Salvation is found in no other name but that of Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd of Israel who gathers his true flock so that they will never be scattered. It's Jesus who went to the cross. It's Jesus who was punished for the sins of all He will ever save. And you can be saved, beloved, and repent of your sins. Repent of any thought you have that you can work your way to pleasing God. And understand that it is only by what He has done, what Jesus has done. It is only by entrusting all you are, all you have, and all you ever will be to Him that you can also be declared righteous by God. Luther came to know and understand that doctrine of justification by faith alone. I preach to you justification by faith alone. Trust wholly in Jesus. Just as He rose from the dead on the third day, you too, having been dead in your trespasses and sins, will have everlasting life. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is the answer to Martin Luther's question. That is how a sinful man... Can be made right before a holy God. Micaiah said, As Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says, I will speak that. As Jesus lives, what he has said. Is that what you believe? Is that what you're trusting in? Is that what you are willing to speak as well? The opportunity is yours today, whether you're young or old rich or poor, male or female. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will just close by saying what Micaiah said, the last words we have of him in Scripture. Listen, all you people. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and I pray that the truth of your word will be impressed upon the hearts of your people so that you will be glorified so that they so that I I even will respond faithfully to you. Thank you Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.